Hey, welcome to Canada in 2021, where simply expressing support for famed children's author J.K. Rowling uh, or asserting that identification as trans does not equate to literally changing sex could get you fired. Hello, Esme. <laughs> How are you? I'm pretty good. It's 1 a.m. in Toronto, and due to <laughs> due to a whole bunch of things going on and scheduling issues, and the fact that um, earlier this evening you were speaking with the one and only Benjamin Boyce, so yeah. you, you did that this evening, and then... After that, yeah. you got in touch, said you were ready to record with me, and thankfully, I have become a night owl in my, as a woman of a certain age now. I'm, for some reason, a night owl. I don't know why, but, so, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting by. I've always been a night owl, and after having kids, you can't, I, well, I mean, they don't sleep, so I guess you're still a night owl, but... They also wake up at absurdly early hours, so <laughs> basically you're just an around-the-clock owl, I guess. That's, <laughs> That's true. You, get, you have to, there's a lot of years where you have to get used to being sleep-deprived. Yes, and I've never, I thought I was sleep-deprived when I did shift work, mm-hmm. when I would switch between day shifts and night shifts, and you're more sleep-deprived as a parent, Oh, wait, 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 wait. I, um, I really require sleep. I require like a block of high quality sleep, um, like eight hours at least. And when you have little kids, you cannot. No, you can't, you, that's just not a possibility. And that's exceedingly rare in my life to get eight hours of sleep. I generally yeah. go from like three to five hours of sleep <laughs> throughout the week. That's no. my norm. No, it's, it's not, it's not healthy. And um, so I, when I was working through some stuff with a naturopath, when he, when my son was still quite young, a, a toddler and juggling being a working mom and, and having a toddler who wasn't sleeping properly through the night. Um, job one, according to the natural path, was to get a proper night's sleep. So let's strategize about how you're going to get a good, restful, proper night's sleep because you cannot heal yeah. whatever's, you know, emotionally or physically if you're not um, properly rested. And that was yeah. her first, that was her first assignment for me was like, like, how are we going to get you sleeping properly? Yeah. So I, I feel that I have like, I, I'm really pale and sometimes I'm anemic and I bruise easily. And, um, I feel like m- the bruises that I get are taking forever to heal. And yeah. I just, I think I'm just bogged down by chronic sleep deprivation yeah, you probably are. Plus everything you've got on your your plate. So, uh, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so the clip that we just heard was from you um, on the Richard Searrett Show Saga 90, 960 AM, which um, is so amazing that we've got a regular Thursday slot with that radio uh, station. Yeah, it, you know, it's really hard to get a platform when you are quote unquote gender critical. And we, as COSBAR, as an organization, now have this regular weekly spot on, on a Toronto, tr sorry, Toronto radio station. Mississauga, technically, but greater okay, Toronto yeah. area. Greater Toronto. Um, I think the, yeah. the audience is several million. Correct me I, if I'm wrong. I think so. They, I mean, we, we're not, we're nonpartisan. We're not... 100% nope. in alignment with everything that happens on that radio station or on that show in particular, but they're obviously open to listening to us and hearing our ideas and asking honest questions. And it's, it has been a really great opportunity for Cosbar and for Canadian women who are gender critical to feel like we have a say kind of in the mainstream media. Yeah. And I, I suppose it is mainstream in some senses because it is an AM radio station. It is um, available to, you know, the broadcast area of greater Toronto area, but with the internet, I mean, anybody can listen to it anywhere in the world um, on yeah. the internet. And they've got some like amazing programmers. Like one of the programmers, Mark Patron is uh, a former uh, CRTC commissioner and oh. um, Carlene Nation was a, a former CTV news reporter, but it is an independent radio uh, station. And this is the power yeah. of independent media. I mean, cause when I first, I really didn't really think to think about who owned it when uh, we started working with them and now I've, you know, I've, right. I might, I thought like, oh, does maybe it's part of the chorus network or, or whatever. And which is a massive, you know, media conglomeration. Um, yeah. But, but of course, no, it's not going to be part of chorus because chorus is going to be pandering to their advertisers and they're going to be yeah. um, giving lip service to whatever is going to get them the the funding the advertisers yeah. and etc and so there's no there's no free speech in the large media conglomerates it's just a bunch of regurgitation of um the the talking points of this sitting government of the day um yeah. with no real opposition in canadian politics i mean the conservatives aren't even doing yeah. you know you have you're conservative, you have one job to be oh, conservative, yeah. right? And they're not even, they're like liberal light, right? So that, oh, yeah. they can't. There's, there's no conservative party in Canada right now. No. And um, except the People's Party of Canada would be more an appro <laughs> approximation, but they're, yeah. they're, now, when did populism become a dirty word? Like populism is for the people, right? But because <laughs> it's associated with, with rural people, working people, people who work with their hands. Um, yeah. Somehow, yeah, somehow Trump. But the only thing, the thing about Trump is, is that he appealed to people because 
he was an alternative to quote unquote the swamp, which were career politicians. Yeah. And who, who would want to be, who are, who's against career politicians with, Mm -hmm. you know, privileged people who are born into privilege, who are leveraging their privilege, who would be against this? It would be working class, rural people who work with the trades, whatever. And of course they saw a plain talking man yeah. Who, who was like, who was just like, I'm going to get rid of the people in the swamp. So of, co- yeah. of course he was an alternative. He was just an alternative. That's all. And he knew how to play. He, there's, there's a vacuum and someone's going to fill it. And the most likely person yes. to fill that vacuum is going to be someone who is manip- manipulative and, you know, not a representative of what they claim to represent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so us even providing the rationale as to why somebody like a Trump would be appealing to people that makes us bad women in some circles that we would even like, like, like use our brains to analyze and say, why would somebody actually want like this guy want to vote for him or whatever? Like, yeah, like in some circles, you're not even allowed to even explore that question. Well, and that's what leads to the problem of populism is that the yeah. no nuance is allowed. So if you can't even look at why why the rise of Trump happened, then good luck trying to defeat exactly. populism and polarism in general. Yeah, like uh, populism in the in the purest sense to me is like for the people for the you know the working class people the people are just like trying to live their lives and and um you know have families and be in their communities and just live a good life with with very little government intervention as little as possible maybe yeah um i I don't see there's much wrong with that personally but I mean I come from an entrepreneurial family um you know from an immigrant who came here and and pulled himself up and showed that that is possible and that's what you know this land of opportunity can be can do for people and I don't think there's anything wrong with 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 praising that yeah I guess it's just in our current culture and climate it's taken on this new meaning Mm. where it just represents uh figureheads who are shills for ideologies of the far left and the far right and yeah they have their own it's, you know like both sides have their own corporate interests and and you know lobby groups putting money in their pockets and whatnot so yeah it's all everything is always about the dollars like at all times and everything is politicized um I I was watching a uh, an interview and I, I'm I'm I've gapped on the guy's name, a historian, and he basically said that one of the features of fascism is that absolutely everything becomes politicized, and that yeah. made complete sense to me. Like we're in a time of fascism, and it's not the usual suspects who are being fascistic. It's you know if you every the whole the entire system is fascistic at this point 
Although, yeah, I, I agree to an extent. I guess the only thing I would say is maybe it's like everything has become a religion right now. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's not recognized as such. but it's An ideology, of, right? Like, yeah, you like have to... ideology, uh, ideology and these crazy political ideas about gender and race they've replaced religious sentiment in large swaths of our culture. I think it's like people, the, the majority of people have some kind of inherent need for religion or something. And in our more secular society, they've replaced it with gender and all this other wacky yeah. stuff. And, you know, they, they still belong to a church, even if they don't show up every Sunday morning. Um, I agree. What what I have noticed is uh, for about the last 20 years that I see in a lot of cases people searching for the divine, but they're doing it in really weird ways because they don't have a formal uh, foundation anymore for yeah. worship or, yeah. regu- or regular practice of yeah of uh communing with the concept of the divine of the concept yeah. of there's something bigger than you and i so yeah. um they're finding it in very weird places like i i see this longing this desire for connection and yeah. they just they're like to me i see a lot of pe- people and movements flailing mm-hmm. And so we've thrown out religion, but we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater and like, how, how do we get that back? And some people never left their faith, but they're, you know, it was weakened, but for one reason or another cynicism, Um, but other people never got that right in the first place. Right. So how, how do you navigate that? yeah I was raised atheist uh, like my I have grandparents who were raised in Catholicism but my parents were atheist and that was how I was raised so I think I've de- I like I have felt that longing and that kind of fear almost of mortality and like the desire to feel like there's some kind of greater meaning or wanting to be a part of something or wishing that I was spiritual. But I guess I have found other ways to deal with that longing. And Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, maybe a lot of people can't. And so they turn it towards (laughs) these weird political ideologies. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't, and they probably don't even consciously recognize the void that they're filling in their no, lives. I don't Honestly. see a lot of self-awareness uh, no. in it at all. Like self-reflection. Um, no. Again, it's like, a, well, the whole online world, right, has, has created that where everything is frenetically um, filling a... Uh, your emptiness you know like yeah um if you've done you know I've studied um 
Eastern and Western mysticism. I've studied a little bit of Buddhism. I've studied, you know, I've, I've, I'm quite interested in world religions in general. So I've done some, some reading across a broad spectrum. And um, one of the threads, and it's interesting when you're looking for threads, when you're doing your research, doesn't matter the topic, like read a broad cross section and then, and then see what comes up for you, like synthesize it and see like where the threads are going. And yeah. one of them, one of them really is, is that you really have to be able to sit. Oh. You can't be, you can't be filling your time with busyness. You right. have to be able to sit. You have to, and that's why every spiritual tradition and Buddhism is considered a philosophical tradition, not religious. Um, yeah. Uh, they, but they, they all share that, that you have to sit in silence. You either have to sit either meditating or praying. You have to be able to yeah. reflect and it has to be a regular um, practice. Because yeah, it's I, like going to the gym, you, you're strengthening your muscles, right? Yeah. And I, I think there's some research showing that part of the kind of epidemic of mental health issues among youth these days is resulting probably from the fact that people don't experience boredom anymore. We mm -hmm. don't want to, we can't sit with that. We turn to screens, video games, whatever. And that's like a natural part of existence is to sit and be bored and yeah, think. Because that's how, that's how creativity comes. Head. Yeah. The voice, that's how the creativity comes to you. You know, yeah. um, you, uh, you have to sit and listen to your little inner, you have to get used to listening to that little inner voice and not being afraid. Like I've been in yoga classes where, uh, women have had to get up and leave. Like when you're doing, um, the corpse pose, um, I think it's called Vipassana. You're doing the corpse pose and you're lying right on your back, um, with your palms, um, towards the ceiling, you know, uh, and you're just like in complete relaxation, the corpse pose, and they, they can't handle it. It's too frightening. Really? Lie like that and to, yeah. to lie in that pose and just try to clear your mind. Because <laughs> it's very... It's scary. It's like a, it's a boring pose. You're doing nothing. Yeah, but they're afraid of their own thoughts. Yeah. That's why they had to get up and leave. Like I was thinking of one in particular and I've heard other people say the same thing, but I have witnessed it. I had mm. to get up and leave because um, it's almost like you have a panic attack when you yeah. stop. Right. Yeah. And That's I don't great. know. I just think about this stuff as it, uh, it relates to all of the gender issues and everything like that too. I mean, it just seems like so much complication and, um, trying yeah. to fill something that is actually very, very simple. Yeah. Loving yeah. your body as it is. <laughs> and maybe getting outside. Yeah. And not, um, over, not overthinking and not overcomplicating things. It's like, okay, the, did you see that it's going around right now on Twitter? This TikTok of this woman, I think I tweeted it from the... GC story hour, um, Twitter, but this woman who, uh, 
young woman who's talking about a particular gender identity, Juver, Juxera, Juxera. I think that's the name of it. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is that? (laughs) Okay, okay, here, let's go to that clip. We'll play that clip now, all right? This is the Juxera pride flag. Juxera is a gender identity that's similar to being a girl, but it's on a completely different plane from the binary gender of woman. Juxera is commonly understood as a feminine gender, but you don't have to dress or appear feminine in order to identify with the term Juxera. The pink and blue on both ends of the pentagon represent the girl and boy genders, while the other colors in the middle represent the gender spectrum. And the green triangle is a visual representation of where Juxera falls on this gender spectrum. <laughs> your take, Amy. What is your take? Well, I just, I, it doesn't make any sense. Honestly, like the only the only thing I can take from that is boys blue, girls pink, other stuff in between, and I'm yeah. too special to pick a blue or pink. <laughs> like honestly, what other meaning? There's nothing, but. You'll have a thousand different people coming up with a thousand different terms meaning right. the same thing. It's just it's so fucking ridiculous and nonsensical. It it is so my comment on my Twitter was they grew up with Pokemon characters and fantastical card games and video game avatars. Now they're attempting to quote unquote adult. It's very hard for them. Like that <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean that's that's what when I look at that, I kind of go, "Oh my god, you're, you're you're still you're still in grade six, aren't you?" Yeah, it's bullshit. I know. How many times have you had people send you a, an abusive DM saying, "Like one day your grandkids or your great grandkids will see what you've said and they'll fucking hate you because you're such a horrible bigot." Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I am more inclined to think that uh, people are just going to be laughing at the, at the trend of the day, which is strange pronouns. Right. Like, like, how long is it going to take? Like five years before um, there's going to be whatever platform is like raging, and five years there's going to be like all these cringe videos. Yeah, right? like like th- this is what I was saying five years ago. Can you believe we, it? Like, is it Nostradamus or Nos- yeah. is that how you uh, it? I, I think you can. Depending on where you're from, you could know. I had a boyfriend in high school who was originally from France, and he would he he's the one who introduced it the, the this prophet seer to me, and he called him yeah. Nos- he called him even in English when we're talking English Nostradamus. I'm like, oh, I, like for years, that's what, I, and, and then, and then I heard somebody say Nostradamus. I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> they only knew the French pr- pronunciation. <laughs> did he predict, did he predict pronouns and did he predict something that comes after pronouns? Cause I would sure love to know. What. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone could go through whatever he said and, and, uh, you know, and interpret his words as whatever they want it to mean. Uh, yeah, he's he talked about the end of the world. It kind of seems like the it seems like the end of the of Western civilization for me. It seems like there's an implosion 
going truly. on. Truly. Truly. I know. Yeah, that's something I can't shake is this weird feeling that I have young, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I, um, I can't shake this scary feeling that we're in decline and, mm-hmm. you know, the peak has already gone by and yeah the golden age yeah like it doesn't feel great right now and i'm like oh is it will it be worse for them will they not want to have children because they're worried that it will be even worse for those children and Mm. it's it's a depressing thought It, it, it is i try not to go there too too much um because um you know my son is of an age where he's just sort of embarking on his life as a young adult and um and doing that during covid has been certainly a challenge and the idea that you know this generation is not going to be um as well off as previous generations is a little yes it's it's, it's hard to uh, to process that yeah. um, because what we grew up with was is that we were building upon generation upon generation to make things better and especially yeah. coming out of like the post-war era the post-war era was really was a golden age I mean there was opportunity there was hope there was optimism there was a yeah. baby boom there was like you single know, income households right um, Elizabeth Warren does a very good, um, this was uh, a lecture that she gave before she got, right before she got into politics and she was still lecturing at where, whatever Ivy League um, yeah. that she did lecturing law. And um, uh, the, the, the name, you can Google it. There, it's, it's quite fascinating. I think it was done in around 2013, maybe earlier. Um, and I believe the, the lecture is called The Coming Collapse of the Middle Class. And yeah. what in it, what she did was she lo- looked, went all the way back to 1971 and, and went through the uh, stats that she could find, uh, the Department of Home Economics or something like that, where they kept absolutely all kinds of stats on like all kinds of consumer behavior and everything. And she, she analyzed it and... Um, yeah, a book of the same name of, of this lecture that she gave that she wrote. And uh, she talks about that and how, you know, what's happened um, with American families. And, you know, it's mirrored in Canada as well. And that, yeah. you know, the things that, you know, people like to say, oh, yeah, but you can get like a, you can get like a fridge for or a phone or this and that. Like, look at all these electronics we have look like life is better and it's like yeah but the things that count are way worse like real estate inaccessible um education in the united states inaccessible it's still inaccessible for a lot of canadians as well let's face it like if you if you slip through the cracks and you're not eligible for whatever um government um program um, like in yeah. Ontario, it's called the Ontario Student Assistance Program, where if you're of a, of a low um, income status, you can get uh, grants, but qu- very often they're loans. So you're just saddled with a loan. Like, I mean, the things that count um, yeah. are, are really uh, out of the reach of just like the general middle class, lower middle class, working class. Oh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I know. Like, I'm one of the rare people of my generation that owns property. Mm-hmm. And it's it's because yeah. I came from privilege, essentially. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it, it wouldn't have been possible if I didn't come from the family that I came from. Yeah. Um, and of course, like, it's still, yeah, obviously now with the struggles that I'm facing professionally, it's... Um, it's scary to think that mm-hmm. I lose these things, but um, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Just, so let's uh, talk about that. Let's talk about a little sure. bit about what you're going through. And I have one question to kick this one off with. Yeah. Amy, have you always been a troublemaker? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, Maybe to an extent. It's funny because, like, uh, as we mentioned, I was just talking to Benjamin Boyce, and he was kind of like, have you always been an activist? And my answer was no, but when you put it as, have you always been a troublemaker, the answer might be yes, because Mm -hmm. I think about, like, I, you know, when I, I was, like, going to elementary school in Edmonton, and I during the winter when it was, you know, minus 20, whatever, I would insist on wearing shorts mm-hmm. <laughs> and shorts. And then, uh, when I moved back to BC, there was like this time when there was a, an alert out in the community that cougars had been spotted. So they put this whole school on lockdown. And I guess, uh, I figured, like, I don't care about lockdown. I'm going to walk home and, like, go and make my lunch at home and have fun. Badass. <laughs> I, yeah, I just, like, left. Like, I don't, I don't give a shit about the rules. I left the elementary school and I walked home um, while there was a cougar, a cougar prowling the neighborhood. And um, I, I guess they were calling my parents and worried about where I had gone and then I just sauntered back to school like no it's all cool I just went home and had lunch it's all good like you, you can't keep me here how old were you uh, I I think I was like 10 wow yeah so you were always courageous you were always um so do you think that you were being like uh too naive or do you think that like you'd assess, assess the risk you did the risk benefit analysis and you went like what are the chances and like I really want to have I really want to make myself a peanut butter sandwich <laughs> I, if I'm being perfectly honest I think it's that I get frustrated by rules and people telling me what I can and can't do Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah maybe in yeah. that sense I have always been a little bit of a troublemaker even though I'm like also shy and quiet and introverted so people don't always expect that I would be like that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, I do really bristle at authority and being told what to think what to say what to do how to act um right yeah. especially like I mean granted if there's a wild animal that could kill you it's probably (laughs) that was a stupid thing to do but in terms of like now that I'm an adult and someone is like you should not recognize biological reality because otherwise you'll get in trouble and we'll call you a bigot and we will punish you and I'm like this is wrong fuck that absolutely not I am not gonna just not do this yeah 
So for a recap, um, I'm sure most of our listeners have been following along, but um, do you want to tell us where you're at right now? Um, well, just like what the allegations are, wh what they've done so far, and what the next steps are. Yeah. Uh, just about a year ago, I was involved in a, uh, a project in Vancouver, putting up a, an I heart JK Rowling billboard that so doing this drew a lot of attention and I had already had like kind of a presence on Twitter and had written some articles about gender identity um, and was kind of like known amongst the trans activists in the city. I, I had been doing events about this and so I wasn't like low profile, but doing, uh, you know, like being involved with this billboard drew more attention than usual. And people online started talking about what my profession is, uh, which is nursing and saying that people should complain to my employer and to my nursing college, which gives me my license to practice. And so, yes, that did happen. And essentially I was under investigation for months and months and then I was sent like a 332 page report um, outlining why they thought I was transphobic mostly consisting of like my social media posts and articles that I've written for various publications it, and then also saying things like you are a co-host of gender critical story hour and they listen to all of our episodes. So I thank you, <laughs> nurses and nurse practitioners, or sorry, BC College of Nurses and Midwives. It's a, it used to be called that. Uh, anyways, like, thank you for being a dedicated listener because they've listened to yeah. all of our episodes. Hi, are you listening now? Hello. <laughs> I'm sure they are. <laughs> what a massive waste of resources and time for a, a, a college. I mean, to be doing this when you uh, told me during that it pandemic. was during it's a, a pandemic. pandemic yeah it's know. a global pandemic and they're they're listening to a podcast our podcast like all you know to that point there were seven episodes so like seven hours somebody spent like a full day listening and then writing a report about our <laughs> podcast it's flattering i i, I gotta tell you but I hope we peak trans people who had to write this report. <laughs> maybe we did. Who knows? Maybe, maybe we did. Um, it's it's absolutely astounding that they could generate a three hundred and thirty-two page report. Yeah, like yeah, that in and of itself. Like okay, ten pages, twelve pages, maybe. You know, we we submitted a brief for Bill C six to. Um, the parliament and it was you know we yeah. had to keep it down to 12 fucking pages okay yeah you know yeah. <laughs> so that's what we did and we were able to pack in our entire um you know thesis into yeah. like 12 pages and it's, it's a pretty damn good brief and like three yeah. people three or four people worked on it okay yeah and yeah. okay and and here we are this tiny little organization um, and with no formal funding, completely independently funded, 
from donations um, from people mainly in Canada, but also around the world, sending us their hard-earned money so we can fight this big damn juggernaut that's well-funded. And like when you step back and look at it that way, yeah, it is profoundly absurd that they would be spending their time chasing you down like this. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, mind you, all of this is like, to be clear, and every single issue has been 100% what I've done outside of work. I've never had a patient complaint. I've never had a colleague worried about me or my practice. It's 100% the things that I say and do and write when I'm not at work and, and activists saying that I shouldn't be allowed to be a nurse because I am a danger to gender diverse people. Um, and, and so even one, one of the complainants, I guess this person wrote a complaint and then shortly after they submitted their complaint about me, they sent in a second letter saying that they wanted to remain anonymous because they were worried that I would retaliate and the college agreed that they could remain anonymous, I guess, which, you know, which legitimizes their concern that Mm -hmm. I would retaliate against someone, which I is, it's supremely insulting. I'm Mm -hmm. just like, I'm blown away by how insulting that is. Um, Well, and not only that, it, it, it go it's counter to any, um, uh, uh, legal or judicial, uh, or quasi judicial, uh, uh, principle in the Western world is that you, you, you have the right to face your accuser. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the laws around con like the laws around being anonymous in terms of complaining about a healthcare provider have to do with patient confidentiality and issues around that. And like, this is not a patient. It's not anything to do with my job. It's just some person it's a it's a person in the general public sniping at you like he could be up in a fucking clock tower with a rifle it's basically that's the analogy and you're walking along around campus and he's sniping at you and he has immunity he's allowed to do that he's sniping like you're worried about picking you off just You're trying to take away my career. I'm a single mother and you're trying to destroy my life and take away my career. And you don't even have, like, you're such an absolute coward that you can't even put your name to it. You act as if I'm in danger. (laughs) Give me a break. Yeah. How how are you? Yeah. Like they've been just reading too many um, Stephen King novels or something like that. Like with like conspiracies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Stephen King. What a yeah, coward. Stephen King, the coward. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just call him Stephen Coward. <laughs> Stephen Coward. Stephen the King Coward. Stephen the Coward King. No. Even though The Shining is one of my favorite movies. but I know. It's really such a shame that so many of our heroes and heroines have, like, completely abandoned sanity. And yeah. now, now we can't, we can't, you know, Atwood... Who was a hero, heroine to me, yeah. and, and my, and my at my girls' school in grade thirteen, taking Canadian lead, and like, oh my god, 
the Margaret's, wow. Margaret Atwood, Margaret Lawrence, you know, it was all, and yeah, and, and, and she's created, you know, like, okay, the absolute irony of, you know, creating Gilead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And not and not seeing not being able to to step outside of it and 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 see exactly what what this is. But but somebody made the point, and it could have been you, Amy, that she got so um, pilloried on in Canlet over what which um, dispute dispute spat was it? It was. Um, Oh, the Stephen Galloway affair. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So for our international audience, maybe they might, they, they won't know about that. I can do a summary. I, yeah. I don't remember where the open letter was. I think she signed an open letter in support of due process uh, for a man named Stephen Galloway, who was the chair of the creative writing program at the University of British Columbia and was accused of rape by a female student who was like a student that was older than him. And I think um, uh, Quillette magazine has done some amazing reporting on the issue. Um, Brad Cran has covered it. Just uh, like his article about the issue I don't know how many words it is, but it takes like an hour to read. And it's some of the best reporting that I've seen in recent years. I read that when it came out and it was really amazing. It is just really good reporting. Like whether or not you're interested in the subject or anything, like you should just read it because it's... uh, It's fascinating, the whole whole story. Piece of journalism. Yeah. but anyways, the, yeah, basically he was subject to a witch hunt. He wasn't given due process and the university responded very terribly. And ultimately they had to pay him out for damages. And now it's kind of going through the courts in terms of like, he's he has sued um, some of the former students of the program that have publicly called him a rapist and whatnot uh like i don't i personally know a couple of those people (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's 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 a it's a big kerfuffle and it's all wrapped up in the whole me too era as well and believe women and it's a it's a very it's it's oh it's a what a what a landmine of a topic on the one hand you have due process like yeah it's a peak me too moment because i am i'm all for me too i i loved Mm -hmm. a lot of the stories that came out and i love to hear women not be afraid of sharing um like bad experiences that they've had Mm -hmm. but i also support due process and i think there's a way to like you you need to be very careful and you can't you know you can't just go and destroy someone's life and you can't literally say believe all women and and take that as yeah you know that's a 100% true literal statement right um but again like it i mean i know a lot of feminists that will be pissed off at me for saying that because it's nuanced it's like yeah 
It makes us bad women. It does, yeah. It makes us bad women in some circles, right? And uh, I, I think it's absolutely possible to acknowledge a whole bunch of things at once. Totally. And, yeah. and, 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 and first of all, we do have due process. We do. So yeah, Margaret Atwood mm-hmm. signed an open letter. I can't remember where it was published. It's been a few years now, but she signed this letter in support of due process and saying, you know, UBC mishandled the situation or whatever. People freaked out and they're like, how dare you? You're a feminist, yada, yada. So I think, what you were getting at is that maybe in response to what she went through when this happened is that now there's an opportunity to embrace gender identity ideology and not yeah. get on the wrong side again. And right. like, why, you know, like I, I can see why it would be appealing for her to not get kind of mobbed and attacked online for yeah. taking the political, politically incorrect position she's a woman in her 80s um i don't know it's it's yeah. very depressing but uh it's well like, it's like jermaine greer who you know made her statements and and took all the flack and then now she's just basically i'm not talking about that anymore look i've made my point so there's yeah. two ways you can go about it you can you can be jermaine greer and go and make the statements and be principled and be um, be logical and be biologically based and reality based and and not backing down and you know all those yeah. wonderful things and then they just yeah. mob 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 death threats deplatforming yeah. whatever until finally she said I'm not even going to talk about that anymore right so fine so she's done it she's she's ignoring it and then you have the Margaret Atwood way, it was just like, hey, I'm just going to go along with the cool kids because I'm, because like Jermaine Greer would be 80 by now too, wouldn't she? Mm. Kind of that. Um, so you'd be, you'd get tired, so, right? There. Yeah, you get, yeah. You, you, I can imagine you, you're, you're an elderly woman. You're tired. It's like, I've had a wonderful career. Um, there's two ways of going about it. There's the heroic way, like Jermaine Greer has, says her piece and say, okay, that's it. I'm not going to say anything more about it. Like, shut up. And yeah. then you have, then you have Margaret Atwood saying, um, I'm just going to go along with the cool kids. Cause yeah. I'm in my eighties. I've had a fabulous career and I just want to enjoy my years left on this earth. Yeah. That's uh, capitulating at that point is, Ugh, I I'm saddened by this. It is. She, she shouldn't have I even waded into it. Like, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, just don't fucking say yeah. anything about it. Like, why? I, know. I remember watching the first season. So the, like, I, I read The Handmaid's Tale years and years ago. It's yeah, me too. Books. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I reread it shortly before the show came out, just because mm-hmm. I wanted to enjoy it again before watching it because usually the books are better than the tv renditions yeah so uh the the first season of the show covers her book everything after that is off script but yeah the book was better and i yeah i don't know i just i just remember thinking like i just wish (laughs) that she would 
I don't, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a loser. <laughs> it's like kind of like back in my, okay. Well, I was just on Benjamin Boyce's podcast and was, he was like asking what kind of teenager I was. And I was into like punk and metal and emo and stuff. And I don't want to call her a sellout, but <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, I'll, like, call, I'll a say a sellout. sellout. Honestly, she's a bit of a like women's rights sellout. Right. So I'm a I'm an older Gen X and we're totally um into this idea of calling out sellouts. You know what I mean? Like we 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 sort of Yeah. Gen X kind of like invented that. Right. I mean, okay. in a way, like the boomers sort of started it in the 60s but then they quickly sold out. <laughs> so I'm doing right? cultural appropriation. They started, the boomers started, um, you know, hey, I'm going to hate Ashbury. I'm going to be a hippie flower power. And then they started these like evil um, tech companies and started working for evil tech companies that were like supposed to change the world, but ended up, you know, yeah, um, doing all this shit. Right. So um, that may, yeah. has made the world like, oh, better in some ways, but like really bad in other ways. And it's all about the dollars. It's yeah. all about the dollars. It's, there's, it's like the love of money is the root of all evil. I will, yeah. I will, I will say that, and and I will believe it every time I say it. Um, it's yeah. it's the truth, and I don't, I don't care even... whether it's biblical or not. It's it is <laughs> it is the truth. I agree, and I don't even know if I'm personally immune to that. Like I've never been tested in that way. I don't know how I would respond. But it's, but, but you know what? I do know because I walked away from a perfectly well-paying, great job with, with benefits. Right. Yeah. Like I do know. And I also know that I've been self-employed for 20 years and I employ other people. So I'm a, I'm a capitalist. Yeah. Um, I paid them the living wage from day one of, you know, running my own company, not because the government told me, but because yeah. I am a principled person. Yeah. I could have put more money in my pocket if I paid the minimum wage, which I'm a, a, yeah. was only obliged to. I could have paid them less than minimum wage because they were contract freelance yeah. workers. I could, yeah. I could have paid them whatever, however, the low amount that I could have gotten away with to negotiate with people. I could have offshored and paid pennies yeah. on the dollar for some of a lot yeah. of the labor. And wow. out of principle, I'm like, I am pay, I'm employing Canadians and I'm, I'm, I am paying them a living wage. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because I'm a principled human being. It's very simple. Yeah. People do, people do not, business does not have to mean people exploiting and taking advantage of, of other people. You know what's, okay, this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but I know someone who owns a large and successful business and told me that um, his employees, like he has dozens of employees and has fully admitted that overall the male employees make more money than the female employees, even though they do the same work um but the so the reason is that when they do the performance reviews or when they speak to him as the owner of the company the men come in and demand mm -hmm. wage increases and yeah. they 
they'll say like, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm really good at my job and I want more money and they advocate for themselves. And yep. so, so then he will give them a raise, but the women don't do that. Yep. And so he doesn't give them the raises, even though he recognizes he's paying. Like, it took me a long a time to, yep. It took me a long mm-hmm. time to figure that one out. You don't ask, you don't get. And yeah. this all comes yeah. back to female socialization um, yeah. and being um, taught not to, not to make trouble. Okay. Yeah. Can't be a bad woman. Don't be a bad woman. Yeah. Hey, be nice. Or feeling like Don't make waves. Right? Yeah, like feel like the job that you do is insufficient or you have imposter syndrome or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, no, you know, you're you you need to go to bat for yourself because this is what yeah. this is what men do. So if you're yeah. out in the workforce and you're working in the private industry, yeah. Yeah. go to bat for yourself. Absolutely. I, I I can't stress that enough. It's so important. Um Yeah. Because not everyone will be principled like you are, because it sounds like you are the exception where you're like, I want to do well for other people. But there are like, this is a man running a business who is like, obviously, I recognize that it's unfair, but why would I just offer to give people more money if they're not even going to ask for it? I'm like, yeah, whatever. That's okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Okay. So let's, um, this, this is what happened to me uh, and how I uh, learned that I have to ask more. Um, I ended up working for a large-ish media company and I was running a department. This is the last job that I had, corporate job, before I went off working on my own because I couldn't handle the office politics. Um, yeah. And I came in and... Um, running a department at that time, there were 12 people in the department and about a month into it, HR called me up and they said, we're giving you a raise. I'm like, Oh, they said, yeah, we looked at the pay grid and it seems that um, there's a guy in your, uh, in your department and he's the guy who had gotten demoted. Wow. Wasn't running the department anymore. That's why I had to be hired. Okay, so he was he was a bit of a, a difficult dude and kind of a fuck up. He knew his job. But he, he knew his job, but he didn't know how to manage other people. He didn't know how to run the department, but he'd been there yeah. long enough that he was at, like making very good money. They said, yeah, so we looked at the pay grid and we noticed that a guy reporting to you was making more money than you. So wow. we have to we have to make you make more money than him. I'm like, oh, great. But then I felt like an idiot. It's like, why did I, why did I walk in asking for so little? I should have been able to ask for myself. I was happy that they, but they did that because of labor law. Right. Right. Yeah. They didn't want to leave themselves open. Otherwise they wouldn't have told me they were covering their own ass. They're like, Ooh, geez, she could come back at us and, and, um, you know, sue us for, I don't even know what the labor law would be that, you know, if you're managing somebody, you have to make, um, more than they do. Um, there could be some human right. rights. Ca- oh, it was probably a human rights complaint too, because me being a woman, like I'm yeah. a woman and I'm managing this guy and he's making more than me. Right. Yeah. Like, like they were totally covering their asses. 
Now that the and worker, I benefited the from that. Are talks, the workers are talking amongst themselves. We're scared. Exactly right. And so I could have gotten wind of how much he was making. Um, but there, there's a, there's a situation where, you know, at, like at time, like as much as I'm like, let's, not, let's have as little government intervention as possible. But labor laws are very important. I think there's got to be standards for labor. And there's one of those places where you do need government intervention, but not, um, yeah, you know, and you do need, you know, some very basic human rights tribunal stuff, but like gender identity and it, like tying up, you know, wax my balls. Like how much, how, how, how much did that cost the taxpayers of BC? That's a good question. I, I, I can't even ballpark it. I have no idea, but I'm sure it was a lot of money. Yeah. So uh, obviously for anybody who's who might be jumping into this, um, whole issue uh this okay this person by the name of of uh going by the name of jessica simpson now um uh, was originally jonathan yaniv and then became jessica yaniv and then um uh create has created so much havoc it's just incredible but this particular person is basically the inciting incident um, um the the launch against the uh uh, the 12 or 13 uh, female aestheticians because the, the, this trans-identified male, uh, Yaniv, wanted them to uh, wax his balls, uh, yeah. Brazilian style. And, and then when they, when they said, no, we only do women, um, took them, took them to uh, this tribunal. And uh, that blew up in 20, summer of 2019. That's two years ago. And that's when yeah. COSBAR was formed as a result of like, wow, this is actually happening now. We're what we've been watching C16. We knew that there would be real life um, consequences. And yeah, and there, there are, and here's like one of the first ones. And uh, um, yeah, this was like looking at the possibility of the state <laughs> mandating that women have to touch male genitals against mm -hmm. their will. Mm -hmm. and, a, and a human rights tribunal spent how many weeks preparing for it, running the trial, writing the report, coming up with the judgment, all of these resources for a yeah. vexatious litigant. But yeah. the thing is, is that he was vexatious but because the law enabled him to be vexatious, the law was at fault in that it, they made it even a possibility that, that he could bring such a complaint. Yeah, there's a law. And I'm also of the opinion that the tribunal, had they not gotten so much public heat and public pressure from women who started showing up at the hearings, including mm -hmm. One of my closest friends, an absolutely amazing woman who is at going like Elsie on Twitter, just like she was live tweeting. Episode. She was did a, an amazing oh job. God. Yeah, she's one of the best people in the entire world, and I love mm -hmm. her to death. So she, I think, single-handedly was like the woman that brought this issue mm -hmm. to the world. 
-hmm. and put this pressure on the human rights tribunal so like in my opinion they used Yaniv's racism as an out to rule against him Mm -hmm. but I seriously fear that if if we hadn't had uh, going like Elsie being there tweeting about what was go- what was going on and telling the world about what, what was happening, that it would have just quietly created this uh, ruling that could be used yep. to create legal precedents about uh, women in Canada being forced to touch male genitals. Yeah, and it's it's a bit of a shame that they had to use the religious um, defense. Uh, because the, many of these immigrant women were of of, uh, of uh, non-Christian faith, and yeah. therefore their faith uh, forbade them from not only touching a man's body, um, as certainly not his genitals, but like not even being in the same room alone with a man who's not their husband or not their brother or their son. Yeah. Um, so. Um, And of course, logically, strategically, that was the correct thing to do, because um, you're at a human rights tribunal, tribunal, it is intersectionality, um, the rules that venue, and therefore they had to, um, you're looking at competing rights. So they're like, okay, what competes with trans? Okay religion like non-christian yeah. religion right that competes with trans so race um, and religion and race right yeah. so they had to they had to use that and the, that, that was uh jay uh from the justice center for constitutional freedoms jay um jay last cameron? Name, cameron who yeah. who argued on behalf of the um the women uh, the estheticians and and he won and the justice center yeah. won for and that and that was a that was a great great day but not optimal for women's rights no i mean it because the you know the ruling it was essentially it boiled down to the fact that they said yanine was racist so on that yeah. basis yeah and vexatious bogus. yeah um but it was clear before there was a lot of public pressure on them that the fact the fact alone that they took on these complaints mm-hmm. and that they used language in their early hearings before there was a lot of public interest and public attendance at the hearings where yeah. they were referring to male ball waxing as critical yeah. uh, quote unquote gender affirming care critical gender affirming care yes yes <laughs> so yeah. that you know like where obviously they want i think they wanted to have a ruling in favor of a Yaniv, and then it just turned out that there was so much heat and so much attention and they realized that this mm-hmm. was not the ideal um applicant to do this so i think mm-hmm. the door is still mm-hmm. open that someone who's a more sympathetic character could come in mm-hmm. with the same complaint but not be racist and the outcome could be different and be and maybe even um look a little nicer than Yaniv too like it's there's all (laughs) you know what I mean like like let's say let's say a Blair White did it and was very respectful well-spoken um so pretty so pretty pretty 
um, fake know. pretty, so fake pretty, but, um, I, I really like Blair White. Yeah, no, I, 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 I do, um, sometimes listen and, and like what Blair has to say. Um, yeah. but, um, um, because again, free speech and speaking unpopular yeah. truths, speaking unpopular truths, that makes yeah. you bad, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know there are like there are a lot of women who are like no don't you you can't like Blair like Blair is fetishizing women womanhood and mm -hmm. um, well I must say uh, male voices but I'm like you know what I I don't really care I yeah. actually find like I think that Blair is smart and funny and yeah. I like watching yeah. videos and when I look at Blair I actually I actually this is you know, I will use someone's preferred pronouns if it makes sense to me and they're a respectable, nice person. Um, yeah. I don't actually have a problem even like just saying she about Blair. Yeah. I really don't care. That's where yeah. I'm at. Personally. I don't, I don't need to be that um, hardcore about pronouns, but I, I do understand the women who refuse to do it and I certainly don't blame them for it, but mm -hmm. personally I'm not there. I'm like, I avoid Blair pronouns. Right? Fiona I mean, Orlander. Yeah, yeah, you can avoid them whenever you can. I, I try to avoid them as, as much as much as possible for the nice ones and then for the yeah. you know, for the evil and vile ones, I'm I'm just like, yeah, you're you're a he. Yeah. Um, there's nothing <laughs> yeah. there's no there's no she about it um at no, all. No question. Know. Yeah. And it's a privilege. It's a privilege for mm -hmm. women to refer to you as she when you're not a she. Yeah. Um, I must say with uh, with Blair, I can't stop looking at the uh, fake tits. <laughs> because it's always with the plunging neckline. Yeah. And, um, and the fake nails and the right. clacking of the nails. But anyway, that's just... <laughs> Just my little... I know what you're talking about, the little, the hand, like, it's yeah. like the little, if you're doing a shadow puppet of, like, a dog barking. Yeah, like, or, or lob, yeah. you know, lobster claws, or whatever. Yeah. Click, 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 click. But, you know, I'm smart, smart person, I think, Blair. I think quite smart yeah, and, and, sure, yeah. and amazing, like, the media savvy uh, is just amazing too. Like some of these like yeah. YouTube commentators and whatever stars, uh, very, very, very good savvy media wise. So I have to give yeah. full, full credit for, for that and the intelligence level and the fact that, yeah. you know, the not giving a shit, love that part. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good about Blair. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so we got off onto this Yaniv situation, and I don't know how we got onto that, but you have tangled uh, with he he has tangled with you, shall we say? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it created all kinds of havoc and made allegations against you. I mean, this guy yeah. is just so fucking busy with. Uh, with all his gr his grifting activities, it's just it's just amazing how much grift that guy can produce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I think like I, personally, I'm at the point where 
I don't even want to hear his name, see his face because I'm like, you know what? He's, he's not even, I don't even associate him with trans activists anymore. No. He's just like some kind of deranged grifter. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. And, and the, the, the so-called the LGBTQ2 plus IA plu plu, whatever, um, they've distanced from him. Yeah. You can see yeah, he's a troublemaker, sure. right? A yeah. troublemaker, not in a good way. Like, not a good troublemaker like you. <laughs> good troublemaker. And me. I'm, oh. I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm not a troublemaker. I'm more, I'm more of a loudmouth. Always <laughs> happen. Always happen. Okay. I guess I should explain, like, what is happening. I think I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, People, yeah, so people complained about me. Right. I oh, was, yes, yes. We totally got off on a big, huge tangent. Okay, let's go back to you. There was a big report saying, you know, like 300 plus pages of why I'm horrible. Uh, the next step was so my lawyers and I decided that we would go public, even though we were. Yes. They didn't want us to go public. Okay, I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, because. Yeah. Because this is really an important thing to me. Again, it is about, like I mentioned, uh, as a tenet of, of, of the judicial process in, in Western uh, countries, uh, that you, you have the right to um, face your accuser. Uh, yeah. But it also seemed the fact that they said they for, forbade you from talking about your case publicly yeah. or with anybody, even privately, you weren't even allowed to. Like it seemed that that seemed very draconian to me that how could they possibly tell you that you couldn't speak to anybody about an accusation against you? um, Yeah, it seems, uh, it's kind of like, it just seems abusive and isolating and alienating. And it was psychological torture. It was psychological torture. Uh, and then, of course, even like, I mean, it's it, not that it's been easy going public because there are always some figures within there. There's weird like drama and infighting that happens within our own movement. And, you know, going public brought on its own set of problems with people who have issues. And then, like, I don't even want to go there because I don't care. I'm like, I at this point, it's so stressful and crappy for me. I don't even want to be the public face of any of this. I don't care. I am hoping now. I feel like I need to be in it for the long haul because I hope that some good will come out of it. Um, But frankly, it sucks. I don't like it. And Mm -hmm. I don't like the mobbing. I don't like the attention. Um, And I kind of on a personal level, wish I wasn't stubborn and wasn't <laughs> invested in this because I'm not enjoying this. It's honestly, it, it yeah, it's not like, yeah, it's not something that uh, only a, a masochist would enjoy this at this point. Like it's just really yes. um, horrible. And the very fact that your livelihood is, as we've seen with so many women around the world, um, that their livelihoods are being targeted 
by by cynical forces and yeah. um, very very you know dangerous and powerful people. Uh, yeah. The, this this is the sort of thing. I mean, but unless there are people like you that are being, let's face it, you're being sacrificed like for the cause. Um, nothing yeah. is going to change. So I think, and we've seen the outpouring for you online and within our circles and, and and that is a sincere, I can tell you outpouring of gratitude because yeah, women, there are, like I told you, Amy, recently, you are one in a million, literally one in a million who would step up. Thank you. And, and so what you're doing is really, really important. And I'm, and I'm so grateful. And you know what's weird is like there could be, I feel like I'm gonna cry, but there can be like hundreds of women and dozens of people sending you messages of support, and then you just have like one or two people that you know who start shit talking you, and none of it's like nothing else matters. It's like you just get fixated on that. And you have I think to hold your head high. Yeah, you just have to forget them and you hold your head high. Seriously, because you're a single mother of two young boys, and you have a great career that you've that you've nurtured, and you've been dedicated, and you've worked the front lines. I mean, I don't know whether anybody knows this. Like, I didn't know it until. I knew you for quite a number of months, but like you worked like on the line, front lines in like the Lower East Side of Vancouver with the with the drug addict population and the homeless homeless population. Like you did yeah. that. You helped people. Like you are a nurturer. Yeah. You are a helper. You're you're in a yeah. noble profession, and that's your calling. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is an outrage that anybody could so easily target you in this manner yeah. and snipe at you and you don't have a right to face your accuser and you don't have a, a right to talk about it with anybody other than your lawyer. I mean, yeah. that's, that's um, the, the level of disrespect is, is oh. just um, insane to me. And so um, I don't know what, yeah. it's, what, what can, what can listeners do? They want to help you. So what, what's the best way? Um, I don't know. Like I do, I, I haven't answered all of the DMs that I've gotten, which I feel really bad about, but I do read them all and I really appreciate it. Um, and I do intend to get to them, but I've been busy, obviously. Uh, I, I'm still working full time. I have a two year old and a four year old. And I try to do my stuff outside of work. Um, and yeah, like I don't, I'm a single mom. I don't have a partner. I don't have someone that I can vent to. And I, I'm like, I'm just making myself sound pathetic. But I'm like, I don't, you know, no. I feel like I don't want to feel bad about calling up my friends and be like, hey, I'm really sad again. I'm really having a hard time again so I just I you know it's been it's hard to go through this alone obviously I can't talk to my two-year-old about (laughs) cancel culture or my 
pre-kindergartner about what it feels like to lose pretty much everyone in your life because of your political principles. Uh, it's yeah. kind of, it's shitty. So I don't know. I, I like, I just, um, I love getting like nice messages from people and, um, or even just like seeing, there have been a few times where people have said, you know what, I'm putting my name out here and I'm saying what I think with my name attached because this is crazy and I can't take it anymore. And I feel like so much pride to, and, and honor It's like, have I personally like been responsible for someone wanting to go public and stand up for what they believe in like that to me yes. feels such an amazing thing and I have a hard time believing that I could inspire anyone and I, I just like I feel so proud that anyone would tell me that I've inspired them in that way I can tell you that I came out as a result of you <laughs> this is like the episode where we try to make Amy cry. <laughs> never cries. <laughs> this is the trajectory of, of like basically season one. We started in August last year. So this is our, this is our season trajectory. And this is what's, what's happening from a storytelling perspective. We started out in our first episode in the trailer before the first episode saying, in our first episode, we're going to talk about what it's like to be, um, in, um, uh, being out as gender critical or still in, in the closet. Right. And, yeah. and I'm Esme and I'm in the closet, but I'm going to come out soon. And, yeah. and I don't know when. Right. And so first episode with Megan, we talked about that. And then, and then it wasn't until the Barbara Kay episode, episode four, I think that was. And yeah. The, the idiot from Australia, the porn adult rando who, ha, who has a like a porn <laughs> podcast made made the uh, complaint oh. against us. Our podcast yeah. got it kicked off Anchor with a single request. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't know, you can read about it in the post millennial. Libby Emmons wrote about it, and when she was writing that story about our getting kicked off Anchor and therefore Spotify, because Spotify owns Anchor, and Spotify is like of course, one of the biggest um, podcast platforms. So it's like, what are we going to do now? So I had to scramble, <laughs> got it up on rss.com, put, put up all the old episodes up on that before they got erased off of Anchor because, oh, they're so nice. They give you like a 48-hour window and say, oh, we're not going to get rid of them right away. So I could download them and then put them back up on rss.com. And like all this trouble that some fucking asshole Assholes. in Australia yeah. created for two women who are doing this like volunteer time like we're not getting paid for it and by the way we do have a buy me a coffee <laughs> if anybody wants to help us with our hosting there's a little plug there um i'm on a bit of a rant here now but um go for it uh, yeah so um as a result of and libby writing up the story and she wanted uh quotes from both of us and you yeah. or, or she asked, like, okay, who, who's saying this? Like, I, I provided a quote, and she, is it going to be Esme or is it going to be mm. Lisa? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was just like, no, I'm using my real name. Use Lisa. Oh. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I've had it. And it was, that was, that was what drove me over the edge, but really it was weighing, it had been weighing on my mind ever since we recorded the trailer for the, for the show where it's like, I'm so here I was in the first episode, I'm on with two women who are out and like, as gender critical, and I'm the one that's behind the scenes. And I had all my reasons, right? Yes, everybody has a reason. And like, I don't want to guilt anybody out, but yeah, everybody has their reasons. And I can't judge for you when it's your time to come out. But you'll know, you will know the time. And for me, the line was drawn, it was a bright line. And, you know, the fact that our little podcast got kicked off of Spotify, and later kicked off of Apple, I was just like, no, this is, at this point, I don't care. Screw it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's going to happen more and more, and you are inspiring people to do that. Well, yeah. Oh, I hope so. Like, I just, it's hard to know that so many people are on board, but the fear mm. is so real. It's mm-hmm. so real. Yeah. I, I do maintain, and I say this all the time, this is, it's a grassroots movement. And yeah. we, we have to spend all of our energies building the grassroots. Yeah. Because the yeah. political classes aren't ready to really play with us yet, like at all. No, they're not. Like, as we've seen with the total capitulation of the Conservative Party of Canada to identity mm-hmm. politics, which mm-hmm. is not, I naively did not expect to see that. And just like, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, uh, Michelle Rempel Garner, okay, like photo ops at uh, the Ogre, Morgan Auger, for anybody who's not already familiar, most of our listeners will be the one of the leading spokespeople for um, trans in Canada. And there she is, very prominent M- MP for the Conservative Party, Michelle Rempel-Garner, uh, hobnobbing uh, at the, the trans cocktail with the, you know, the founder who created an, <laughs> who created an eponymous, like who, who who's like a little pea picker who's not Trudeau, Clinton, Bush, uh, you name it, creates an eponymous foundation. Yeah. No, this is like the epitome of someone who is given every single thing they're afforded in life because they belong to (laughs) they belong to an identity group that is supposed to have been given this position somewhere. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just Fair. like slap on a pair of tits and you're just like, you got the ear of like politicians, including conservatives. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, ogre come on. <laughs> record breaking trans woman. First, first trans woman in Canada to lose a federal, provincial and municipal election. There you go. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Yeah. It's like it's like that. Um, yeah, it just put me in mind of um, the scene from Elf, <laughs> where he 
he sees the photo. He sees the photo. He's walking by on like Fifth Avenue, and there's a little cafe, the little style cafe. Oh, best cup best. of coffee. <laughs> and he goes in. Congratulations! You did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love like okay. I'm such a freak about Christmas. I watch that movie every year. I love it yeah. so much. It's such a great movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. yeah, and I, yeah, I love him so much. Um, so yeah, and okay. Let, one other thing: um, is it worthwhile for our listeners to write letters to the college on your behalf? Or sure, yeah. Um, I've I think the address has been posted on Twitter and on my Facebook. It's like the B C C N M. British Columbia College of Nurses and Midwives. Um, and yeah, like, so the, we keep going off on these ama- amazing tangents, which are super fun. <laughs> I guess the most. Because <laughs> it's late night here. <laughs> it's now uh, 12, it's now 2.29 a.m. Ooh, okay. <laughs> but okay. you're a night owl, it's okay. Yeah, it's um, okay. At this point, my college has provided the quote-unquote consensual terms or consensual agreements <laughs> that I consent. can't say yes mm. no to. Um, it doesn't sound like consent to me. It's consensual. It's like it's a list of punishments. Oh and God. at this point, I can say yes or no. Or, you know, if I say no, it goes to a disciplinary hearing and it will likely end up in the court system for several years. And I have no idea what will happen. Um... So I, um, it's really hard for me because I kind of had my hopes up that the whole thing would be dropped and that they would recognize sanity and rationality and the fact that the, <laughs> I've done nothing wrong, but that's not the case. Like they do want to punish me. So I don't, I don't know yet. I need to consider my options and consider, uh, you know, I'm also really facing this personal struggle of like, what do I need to do for myself personally mm-hmm. for, for my own mental health and for the well-being of my family and my children and what will happen to my life in the next few years versus like just going full-blown and fighting tooth and nail and I'm like what what will the personal cost be um and I this is I think this is why I feel (laughs) I'm like I'm literally gonna start crying now I'm like this is why I feel so horrible is like now I'm in this position where I have to choose between the cause and myself and I just I it's torture and I like I yeah I don't know yet what I'm going to do but um, I can't even imagine what that will what that would feel like 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 you are in a tremendous amount of strain and pressure um because you're you're committed to the uh, the cause and you you understand this the stakes and you understand that unless women step up and men um yeah it's never going to change and it's only going to get worse so yeah 
it's it's an impossible type of um, bargain that you are em- embarking on because you're there. You've got so much to sacrifice personally to do this. So, um, and I don't want to let anyone down, and I don't want to like abandon things at the eleventh hour. Um, and so, know, how I'm, much? I think one of the questions is how, how much do you have in you? How much energy? Because as your lawyer says that this could drag on for years if you decide to pursue it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I'm really struggling right now because my kids are so young and these are like the golden years that I should really just be happy and enjoying it. And then it's compounded by the fact that I'm like, I'm, going through a divorce and I'm a single mom and I'm still trying yeah. to work full time. And now I have to like pay all of the bills by myself and it just, <laughs> everything's really difficult. And then on top of it, it's like, Oh, by the way, you have to now choose between your principles and your livelihood and um, you know, like face years and years of, of strife. So I don't, I don't know. I just, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit going crazy. <laughs> to say yeah. Well, you, you're holding up incredibly well. Um, given that I know what you're going through and uh, like, it's, it's a wonder that you're not, you know, it's a wonder to me how how well you're holding up and and with the strength and 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 dignity that you have and even your sense of humor like I think your sense of humor is helping you get through and I I totally understand that because I use that as a mechanism too um yeah did you hear the bell ring <laughs> no <laughs> there was a bell okay uh, because it says my battery's running low and I'm in another room because um, so not, so as not to make a lot of noise because it's late at night. Okay. So um, we are, we're, we're running, um, we're running out of battery here. And, uh, right. but it's been like, we had a good 90 minute talk um, and we covered a lot yeah. of stuff. And to our listeners, thanks for staying with us to the end and uh, getting to the meaty, juicy part with yeah, with Amy's heartfelt um, candidness about what she's going through. And I, I'm so happy that you're my friend, Amy. I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I support you any way I can. And um, and I know there's a lot of women out there and men who are ready to support you uh, uh, morally and emotionally and, and in any other way, just, just ask. And I, I think you'll, you'll be, you'll find that you, you do have so much support and I hope that that gives you some sense of comfort. It does. And yeah, I love you so much. And I am, I will be in Toronto soon. So that's Yay. Love you too. So, IRL. <laughs> it's so yeah, funny. IRL, and uh, we'll get we'll get some other peeps involved, and um, we'll have a good old time. Yes, as we do. As we do. <laughs> we do. We do. We do. 
So I'm going to say good night, good night to our listeners and or good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are at whatever time of the day that you're listening to (laughs) this recorded episode. Have a good night. I hope you feel like you're in the room chatting with us the whole time. Yeah. And hey, get in touch with us, tweet at us and stuff like that. And uh, because we like hearing from you. So um, anyway, everyone um, signing off for now until the next time, we'll have an interview for you the next time, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed this one because it's just really important what Amy's doing. And I really appreciate you, Amy. So good night. I hope you have a a good sleep tonight. Thank you. Thanks too. I love you so much. Love you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Gender Critical Story Hour is written and produced by Amy Hamm and Esme V. Intro music by Nahanda. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us your peak trans stories, how gender identity ideology has impacted your life, or just say hi and let us know your thoughts about the podcast. Write to us at gendercriticalstoryhour at gmail.com. Tweet to us at gcstoryhour. Take care, keep strong and keep talking. Bye for now. Gender Critical Story Hour is sponsored by the Mythical Biological Female.